Good morning. Uh, glad you could join us today. Uh, today's a, a special day in terms of uh, being able to hear what God is doing in our lives. And uh, I'm Pastor Gene. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're in the middle. And first of all, thank you, Steve. I know that took a lot of courage um, and uh, for anybody that, to be able to share uh, just how how God has brought you out of the, the pit of darkness and uh, now he's brought you into his wonderful light. Um, uh, you know, Carol and I, we've, we've been with Steve and Jesse uh, their whole journey from the beginning of when they're starting their business and uh, just um, just seeing how, how God's been gracious and faithful to them. And uh, there's nothing better than to see, uh, hear stories of how, how God is really touching and blessing and, and faithful to, to the lives of people. I want to encourage you to um, share your stories. I know it, it may feel a bit intimidating, but um, but you but we're so blessed by your stories. Uh, Revelation talks about how uh, when we're going through difficult times in warfare, that uh, God's people overcame them by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and the word of their testimony. And it's the testimonies that allows the darkness of of evil to to flee. It's the, the, when we testify of Christ. The enemy can't stay here. He's like, yes, you're right. You have testified the truth, and I cannot be here. So I want to encourage you to do that as we push back uh, the darkness of evil. We're in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount, which is uh, Jesus' most important and most famous uh, sermon. It gives us a description of what it looks like to be an apprentice and follower of Jesus. And so uh, if you look to Matthew chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 3, and uh, we have to understand that this is all a package we cannot separate these one by one and pick and choose which we want to be like in terms of following Christ. These all not only are packaged, but they work together. They're entwined together. They, uh, uh, they are part of one another. And so verse 3 uh, in Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And today, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. And so I want you to see that there's a progression here, that we begin with a poor in spirit, which tells us our need for God. That's our, our foundation. Unless you know that you have a need for God, you cannot experience God. You cannot grow in God. So blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Next, blessed are those who mourn who are repentant of, of their sin, who uh, allow themselves to be vulnerable before God. Blessed are those who mourn. We talked about blessed are the meek or blessed are the humble. And, and what this means is that blessed are those who trust in God more than they trust in themselves. That we come to a point where we trust in him more than we trust in ourselves. Next, we talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And, and that means that that we understand that we've received righteousness from God and we are experiencing righteousness in our daily lives. We talked about blessed are those who are merciful, that we remember how much mercy we've received from Christ, that we deserve the, the penalty of sin, which is death. But because of God's incredible mercy, he paid the price for our sins so that we could be set free, as many are experiencing today. Last week, we talked about purity of heart. And what this does is it allows us to be connected with God. It talks about being a single-focused, uh, undivided heart that allows us to connect with God, to trust in Him, to be more intimate with Him, and have a better relationship with Him. And today we're going to talk about blessed are the peacemakers. And the interesting thing about this is that peace comes from the purity of heart. 
that we receive peace when we have purity of heart. Listen to what James uh, chapter 3, 17 and 18 says. It says, but the wisdom from above is first all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers, somebody say peacemakers. Peacemakers. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. And so last week we talked about pure in heart being undivided. But when our hearts are divided, that's when we lack peace. Because our hearts are raging in conflict with itself. Where we know what to do, but we struggle to do it. And so there is just a lack of, of peace in our heart because our heart is divided. James 4, 1 says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? And so there's this war going on inside, and our hearts are divided, and therefore we are not experiencing peace. Well, blessed are the peacemakers, but in order to be able to make peace or to give peace to others, we have to experience peace ourselves. There's a difference between peacemaking versus peacekeeping. Some people are... are uh, peacekeepers instead of peacemakers. Some of us, we are uh, settling for false peace instead of real peace or true peace. And what that means is that we're lacking the, the truth within our lives. Uh, in an article by Phil Custodio, uh, he gives this example, and, and it relates, I identify with it, and maybe you'll identify with it too. Uh, there's this guy named Carl, and he's upset that his, his wife constantly comes home late from work, but he says nothing. Why? Because he feels like, or he thinks that being like Christ is saying nothing, but he does give her a cold shoulder at home. A woman named Pam disagrees with her coworkers at lunch when they slander her boss, but she's afraid to speak up. Why? Because she doesn't want to rock the boat and speak up by disagreeing. There's a guy named Bob who is deeply offended by some remarks that Pete made, but he said nothing to Pete. And Bob, Bob has carried a grudge for months now. He badmouths Pete behind his back and he says nothing to Pete about it. There's a, a woman named Sharon who, who thinks her boyfriend is irresponsible but feels bad for him. He has had so much pain already in his life, she thinks. So how can I uh, add to more, more of that? So she backs down from telling him the truth about the way his behavior is slowly killing their relationship. And so if you look at all of these examples, what is the common denominator here? You have four people who are claiming to do what they are doing in the name of peace. They're claiming to be peacemakers. But ultimately they're saying, you know what, I'm not going to speak up. I'm not going to bring this up. I don't want to rock the boat. The truth is that they are not peacemakers, but they are peacekeepers. Because true peace will never come through pretending what is wrong is actually right. True peace is not pretending that something that is wrong is actually right. True peacemaking is that God is loved and loving others, and sometimes the loving thing to do is to confront the conflicts that we have with other people. The, the crazy thing about these Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount is that you'll notice, at least for me, that as we go further and further into the, the Beatitudes, it seems to be harder and harder to do. Keep Making peace is something that is extremely difficult for me and for many of us, I believe. We say that we want to be a peacemaker, but we are afraid to confront, and we don't share how we really feel because we feel like as Christians, we don't upset anybody. A Christian wouldn't upset anybody, and so we are afraid to share because it, 
It is my duty as a Christian to sweep everything under the rug, pretend that doesn't happen, and just go on with our lives. And so we are living under a false peace, not a true peace, because inside of us, inside our hearts, our hearts are divided, our hearts are upset, our hearts are angry. And so we have this false peace, but we know inside that there's no peace inside of our heart. Peter Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says that spiritually away conflict is one of the top 10 emotional dysfunctions that we have. And so in our culture today, uh, we have so much division and so much conflict, right? If you are a conservative, then you're supposed to hate liberals. And if you're a liberal, you're supposed to hate conservatives. If you're a progressive, you're supposed to hate Republicans and, and vice versa. And if you're a Christian, you're supposed to hate Muslims. And so we have this division in our culture that, that if we don't agree with somebody, we're supposed to hate them. We're supposed to eliminate them. We're supposed to terminate them. Uh, for example, when we got rid of, not we, but when, when we got rid of Saddam Hussein and he was terminated, did that bring peace to the Middle East? It didn't. It, it's, there was still conflict. There's still conflict in our hearts. I think it was about 10 years ago where you could have a disagreement with somebody and still be in relationship with them. That you could still be friends with somebody that you disagreed with, uh, politically or just, you know, whatever, sports-wise. Um, you know, but now we are in a culture where we feel empowered to hate people who disagree with you. And I don't know if you experienced it, but I, I've experienced it myself that friendships have ended because we disagree on politics, on vaccines, on whatever, and, and relationships and friendships have ended. This is the culture that we have. There is no peacemaking uh, happening. So therefore, as a Christian, what, what side are we supposed to be on? Are we supposed to be on the left side? Or are we supposed to be on the right side? I don't know what side we're supposed to be on, but whatever side you pick, we need to pick the side of peace. We need to pick the side of peace. So often I was thinking that peace was the absence of something in my life. Absence of conflict, absence of, of, of stress, absence of war. If I, if I didn't have those things, then, then surely there would be peace in my life. But I heard someone once say that peace is not the absence of, it is the presence of our Heavenly Father. It's not the absence of stress. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of the Prince of Peace in our lives, Jesus Christ. In a brother, name, Amen. As many of us know, peace in, in the Hebrew is shalom. And shalom has this wonderful uh, uh, concept and this idea of wholeness and completeness. It's not just the absence of conflict. It is the, the, the wholeness and completeness of a person. And Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers because they are sons and daughters of God. And when there's peace, there's reconciliation between two parties that are in conflict with each other. That is peace. It's not the absence of war. It's not stopping the fight. It is actual reconciliation. And that is the business that Jesus has always been in. He came to seek and save the lost, to reconcile them to God. That there's this huge chasm between us, God's people, and God himself because of our sin. And so Jesus Christ came down to reconcile that gap that separates us from God. He is the ultimate uh, peacemaker. Yet because he suffered, he was the middle person between two sides. He suffered uh, with, with people who, who mocked him and shamed him and, and, and crucified him and put nails in his hands and his thorns. And yet when he was on the cross, it was the Father God who forsook him for that moment. And so he took on the sin and the guilt and the shame of the world on that cross. And God the Father allowed it. And so, so he was able to take and suffer on both sides. 
But what we see is that Jesus is the most prolific peacemaker. He was the goat of peacemaking. You know, somebody like goat, like I thought he was the lamb of God, not goat. No, goat meaning the greatest of all time. He was the goat of peacemaking. That he was able to reconcile humankind with God. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Just missed the amen moment right there. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Amen. No wonder if we imitate peacemaking that we will be recognized as children of God because that's what God does. He reconciles. He, he makes peace. You know, the Jews were hoping that the Messiah would be this military leader who would, who would lead a revolution to overthrow the Roman government and the oppression. And, and the hopes was to make Israel a superpower. But this is not about a political or military uh, involvement. In fact, that kind of stuff wouldn't bring peace to the Jews and Roman government. It would just uh, anger and fire up another group of people. It would, it, it would just change who is upset now. Um, and so what Jesus wanted to do is that he didn't want to win fights. He wanted to end fights. He was not interested in winning this battle. He wanted to end this fight. Uh, when two countries or two parties are, are, are at a truce, a truce is the absence of war. What that means is that two parties decide to stop fighting, just like North and South Korea. They are at a truce. There is no peace because, for example, you and your spouse may have decided to stop fighting, but you know that there is no peace in your heart. Just because you stop fighting doesn't mean that there is peace. We need to eliminate this idea that true peace is, is the absence of conflict. That is a false peace. That there is, uh, all you might be in is a truce. But God is asking us to initiate and be peacemakers in our relationships, one to another. And so peace is more than that. Where there was once division, now there is reconciliation. According to Ken Sandy, who's the author of Peacemaker, a biblical guide to resolving personal conflict, um, he said that many believers in the churches have not yet developed the ability to respond to conflict in a gospel-centered and biblically faithful man manner. When Christians become peacemakers, they can turn conflict into an opportunity to strengthen relationships and make their lives a testimony to the love and power of Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? What does a peacemaker look like? I mean, we could, we could do a whole other series on conflict resolution, and we may need to do that because it is such an important part of the Beatitudes, how to be a peacemaker. But just to, to make it very simple for all of us, peacemakers are people who breathe grace to one another, who breathe grace and forgiveness to one another. They draw continually on the goodness and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus, and they bring his love and mercy, his forgiveness, his strength and wisdoms to the conflict of daily life. Let me ask you, do you naturally breathe grace to someone who has offended you? Do you naturally breathe grace to someone who has hurt you? Are you quick to forgive or do you hold on to it? This is not natural for many of us, yet this is what God calls us to do. Uh, not all of us are called to teach a Bible study, not all of us are called to sing in the choir or work with youth group kids, but all of us are called to go and be reconciled in Matthew 5. You know, the, the skills and the practical tools is something that, that I'm passionate about in, in terms of, of learning and teaching. But skills and practical tools for conflict resolution, even though they're important, they're, they're not the focus. 
The, what the focus has to be is the heart and the motive between two people. If our desire and our heart is to honor Jesus, then everything else will follow, including the skills. Unfortunately, our reality right now is that our world wants us to focus on our differences. And so it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, okay, you guys are so different. You get, and, and focus on how different you guys are. Okay, now, now get along. Be unified. We'll go ahead and do it. Try it. But God, in fact, he does the opposite. He focuses on our similarities. He shows us how similar we are. He shows us how related we are. And he says, now, look at how similar you are. Let's have unity. Let's get along together. And the similarity is quite simple, that God made all of us into his image. You hear what I'm saying? God made all of us into his image. And now the common ground that we have in the image of God is we can live in peace. See, when we hate somebody, we tend to focus on our differences. What would your relationships and friendships look like if you didn't focus on your differences, but you focused on your similarities or your shared commonness? Vance Pittman described a peacemaker as one who takes responsibility for reconciling broken relationships. If I could ask the worship team to come join me right now. So how do we do this? What does God want from us? God tells us in Psalm 34, 14, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He calls us to seek peace. And how do we do that? Well, Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer, somebody say prayer, prayer. and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace, somebody say peace. peace, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. For the past couple of weeks, I've been talking about how the world wants us to change our circumstances, uh, how, how when we're going through troubling times, when we're going through conflict and chaos, that our first instinct is to change our circumstances. Uh, I don't know who said this, but, but someone said this quote, that when a problem causes you to lose your peace, don't hurry to solve the problem in hopes of regaining peace, but first regain peace and then see what can be done about the problem. I'm a problem solver. If there's a problem, I, I need to find a solution. I cannot continue. I cannot go on until I find the solution. And if I don't have the solutions, then my peace is gone. My peace is gone. When the Packers lost in the first round of the playoffs, my peace was gone. And it's not up to me to figure out though I may have some ideas and opinions of what needs to happen. But this quote really uh, uh, sticks to my heart because it's my whole life I've been trying to solve problems in order to find that peace. But what God shows us and tells us, first, come to me, experience peace, and then you can see what can be done about that problem. In other words, go in peace first. Is your life, is your words, is it causing peace or is it causing division? Are you one that is a peacemaker or a troublemaker? Are you keeping peace with people? Right now we have a community who, who need so much peace in their lives because there's so much chaos and so much craziness and so much conflict and so much pain going on. We as a community, as Grace Life, we can be agents of peace to those who are hurting and sick. As I've said, the word peace is shalom. And maybe if we're lacking shalom, maybe it's because we're lacking the connection with the shalom, our Lord Jesus Christ. God brings us peace and he offers it to us so that we can offer it to others. Blessed are those who are peacemakers for they will be seen 
the sons and daughters of God. May you experience God's peace in the midst of chaos. May you experience God's peace in the midst of the storm. May you experience the life-giving peace that transcends all understanding, not because our situation is different, not because our problems are solved, but because we are abiding in Jesus today. Let's abide in him today.